Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. No, tonight we're going to talk about facing giants. Facing giants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, for your mercy. We thank you, Father God, for all that you are going to do tonight, all that you're going to speak to our hearts. I thank you that hearts are open, minds are open, ears are open, eyes are open to receive what you will have to say to us this evening. And we're going to be better when we leave here tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Facing giants. Now, how many of you know that we face giants every day of our lives? There's various different things that happen uh, through the course of our life uh, on a day-to-day basis that we would um, consider a giant. So we're going to read in Numbers chapter 13, very familiar story to some. If it's not familiar, I'm going to actually read pretty much through the whole chapter. Is it okay if we read the Bible tonight? That's all right to do. (laughs) So just follow me as we read through the scripture. It's a story of Moses and the children of Israel. I'm getting a little feedback on this mic. And the city of Canaan, the land of Canaan. We're going to start at verse 1. Actually, before we get started, everybody got something to write with? You got some paper? If you don't have some paper, the ushers, lift your hands and the ushers can give you something to write with. You always want to make sure that you take notes. Everything that I'm going to say tonight, you're probably going to remember 10% of it, but if you write down something, you may remember a little bit more, and it'll help you in your devotion time throughout the week. So go ahead and lift your hand if you need something to write with, and the ushers will ensure that you've got something. So while we're waiting on the ushers, I'm going to go ahead and read Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And it begins saying, and the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. We read that one again. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I, God, am giving to the Israelites. You see here, God said that I'm giving it to the Israelites. There's nothing that they have to do. God is telling Moses, listen, I've already given that land to the Israelites. For from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Say leaders. Now, verse 4 through 15 goes through and names those leaders. Now, I'm not going to read through them because I promise you I'll jack up probably 90% of the names. So, I'm going to jump down to verse 16, but I will tell you that there's a total of 12. (laughs) One of them is Joshua, one of them is Caleb. Those are the ones that we always talk about. So, I'm going to jump down to verse 16, and it says, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on, on into the hill country. So see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What you're seeing here is Moses is giving them specific instructions. 
He's telling them exactly what he wants them to do when they leave from his presence. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Again, you see here, Moses is giving them specific instructions. He's not just sending them out and letting them fend for themselves, but he's sending them out and he's telling them, listen, this is exactly what I want you to look for. This is exactly what I need you to bring back. I need you to search out these specific things and then tell me what you see. And in verse 21, it says, so they went up and explored the land. So they left from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. I feel like I'm speaking in tongues. They went up through (laughs) the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahaman, I'm I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce those names, but those names, and the descendants of Anak lived or Anak lived. Now, the descendants of Anak, and we're going to see as we go through the scripture, they were, uh, another scripture says that they were the descendants of the Nephilim. They were considered uh, very large men. They were very strong. They were very tall. In fact, uh, later on in the scripture over in, I believe in Kings, I can't remember if it's first, second Kings, second Kings, you see Goliath appears on the scene and Goliath is a descendant of the Nephilim. He is a descendant of the Anak. And it was said that uh, Goliath was about nine feet, nine inches tall. Can you imagine seeing a man nine feet and nine inches tall? That's very tall. And then on top of being tall, he had armor that weighed 125 pounds. So it made him look even bigger than what he was. But again... Back to the story. I'm not gonna, that's next week. So come back next week and we'll talk about that. But you see here the descendants of Anak, they lived in, in this land as well. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. 23, when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Now, when I see this, I get this picture of, again, this is a land that is filled with people that are very large. They're very big. Not large this way, but large this way. Y'all miss that. So not large this way, <laughs> but they were large this way. So if, if there are people that live in this land that are very large, they're very big, very strong men, I can only imagine that the grapes that they pulled off of this tree weren't a small cluster of grapes. I, and I'm just going to step out on a limb and I'm going to say that those grapes were probably pretty big. And they were so big that it took two men to carry this big cluster of grapes on a pole. Okay. So I'm just painting a picture here. Verse 24, that place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. 40 days. Say 40 days. Say that's a long time. It took them 40 days to search out and survey everything that Moses had sent them to do. 40 days. Now, how many of you know that a lot can happen in 40 days? 
Your mind can go in a lot of different places in 40 days. And you're actually going to see in this scripture what happened to the minds of those leaders throughout the course of that 40 days. Verse 26, they came back to Moses. So they've arrived back in Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. So this is where it gets good. So they're coming back with a report. And they say, we went into the land to which you sent us. And guess what? It does flow with milk and honey. It's exactly what God said. It's exactly what you said. Listen, look, here's the fruit. Verse 28. Now here's where they get in the flesh. Here's where that 40 days took account. But the people who live there, they're powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites, and Parasites, and all those other ites. They all live there in the hill country. And the Canaanites live there, live near the sea along the Jordan. Now we're going to jump down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them Say the leaders. The leaders who had gone up with them said, listen, Moses, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. That's what the 40 days did to them. It caused them to begin to look at themselves rather than to remember. I can imagine, and I'm just, it's not in the scripture, but I'm just going to step out on the limb here. And I'm going to say that when Moses sent them with the specific instructions, he told them, listen, this is what God said. God said he's already given us this land. So when you're going and you're looking to see what the soil's like, and you're going to see what the fruit is like, and you're going to see what the land is like, and you're going to see if they have fortified walls or no walls at all, when you're going to see that, keep in your mind that God has already given us this land. So I imagine that he said that, but when they come back, they say, Moses, these people are strong. They're stronger than we are. We can't attack them. Now, I remember going up, growing up. Um, now, I, I wasn't a fighter, so I, I saw a lot of other people fighting when, when I was growing up. I'm lying, I was a fighter. <laughs> But if any of you have ever been in a fight growing up, and I hope you're not, you know, now in your 20s and 30s and 40s trying to fight, but if you were growing up as a kid, teenager or what have you, and you were, uh, you know, getting ready to fight, there was something that you would do. And what you would do, you would look and you would size your opponent up. You would size him up. And automatically you're thinking, okay, well, this guy's big. Now, at, that t- at the time when I was younger, I was probably about, and now I was probably about this height but I was about 90 pounds soaking wet. Like, I mean, a stick. I was so very small, all legs. And so I would see, and I said, this guy, this guy is pretty big. I can't let this guy grab a hold of me because if he grabs hold of me, it's over. I'm done. There's, I, I, it's, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm just, he, he tied me up like a pretzel. There's nothing I can do. I'm done. So I sized him up and then I, I, I based my, or formulated my strategy and I'm talking about fighting here, <laughs> formulated my strategy based on how I surveyed him, how I sized him up, okay? Now, 
I was also an athlete. And you see that in boxing, you see that in sports. So I was also an athlete. And I, I played basketball growing up. I played football, but more so with basketball. And what we would do with basketball, we had specific coaches that would go out to different games. They would go out to other teams and they would build what we called a scouting report. And what the scouting report did is it told you the plays that they were running. It told you uh, uh, who was their scorer. It told you uh, who uh, their defensive person was. It, it just gave you a full, uh, a whole gambit of information in regards to this team that you were getting ready to go up against. And then what we did was we formulated our strategy based upon this team. Okay, well, this guy here, he likes to dribble left. But if you force him to the right, he's going to dribble one time to the right and come back to the left. If he does that, you can jump and you can steal the ball. And it worked like clockwork because we scouted. We went and surveyed this team and we formulated our strategy based on the information that we gathered. They called it a scouting report. But listen, what we did when we surveyed this team was we sized them up, but we didn't size up ourselves. Point number one. Write this down. Be quick to size up your situation or your giant, but slow to size up yourself. Always be prepared to look and scout out the situation or the circumstance, but listen, be slow in sizing up yourself. Why? What happens when you begin to size up yourself? When you begin to size up yourself, you begin to see your situation through your own weaknesses. How many of you know that this is what the leaders did? They forgot the fact that God said, listen, I've already given you the land. And they looked at their own imperfections. They looked at their own infirmities, their own faults, their own failures. They're stronger than we are. We can't attack them. So when you encounter a giant, when you encounter a situation, and that's in Numbers 13 and 31, Always be quick to size up your situation, but slow to size up yourself. Let's read that. Uh, if you got that, put that on the screen. Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with them or with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And what happens is we often begin to compare ourselves with our situation and determine our success or our failure based on what we discover when sizing up our own selves. Let me say that again, because I said a whole lot. We will begin, often begin to compare ourselves with our situation or determine our success or our failure based on what we discover when sizing up our own selves. How many of you know this is what, uh, it's a fear that happens. And we do that in our own lives. I'll just talk about myself. I won't talk about any of you. And, and I know you won't raise your hand. It's okay. But I'll talk about myself. I'll be transparent. There are times where, or there have been times where my wife and I, we may get a, a very large bill, an unexpected just expense that just arises. And we're like, oh my God. I begin to not just survey the situation. My first response was, man, we don't have that in our account. What did I just do there? I sized up myself. I forgot the promise that God had given me that he supplies what? My need according to his riches and glory. And I began to look at my situation through the eyes of my own weaknesses. 
through my own shortcomings. There's a fear that sets in. How many of you know that bullies, they feed off of fear? That's why it was hard for me to be bullied as a kid or growing up because I wasn't scared of anybody. (laughs) And people will try, the bullies will try, but they feed off of fear. Those that they know are afraid of them, they're going to pick on them and pick on them and pick on them and pick on them. I've seen some videos on YouTube. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah, Pastor Dave looks up these kind of videos of bullies. And you'll see this, there's a, a kid, there's one particular video that there's this little scrawny kid. He's, he's got to be at least about 12 or 13 years old. And he's about this tall. And then the, the, the guy that, when I looked at the video, I'm like, oh, clearly the big guy is, is the one that's doing the bullying. This guy's like this big and he's really big. I'm like, clearly he's the one that's doing the bullying. But no, it was that small guy that was bullying the big guy. And he was just standing there and he was hitting them and he was talking about them and all that other stuff. And then the, the bully was just standing there against the wall, just looking at him. And I say he was sizing them up and then he made a mistake. He got too close. That bully grabbed him, or not the bully, the big kid. He grabbed him, picked him up and slammed him on the ground. The kid hit his leg on the rocks and he just gets up and he's limping away and all of that. But what happened? The bully said, listen, I'm not taking that anymore. How can this little kid bully this big old kid? Maybe there was a point in time where this big kid showed fear. But there was this one day he said, listen, I'm not taking that anymore. At what point in time are you going to tell the enemy, listen, I'm not taking it anymore. You've tried this thing over and over and over again. And I've rolled over and I've let you do it. But listen, today is the, I'm not taking it anymore. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to face our giants. Don't run from them. Face your giants. The scripture talks about uh, the enemy being like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. How many of you know the devil's a bully? The scripture doesn't call him a lion. There's only one lion. It says he goes around like a lion, seeking who he can devour. Have you ever watched uh, National Geographic? Yeah, I like watching animals kill other animals. That's bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you see, you'll see where this lion or this cheetah or this leopard, it'll run to a pack of of, of other deer or, or whatever the, the, the prey is. And all of a sudden you just see all of them go, boom, they all take off. And what happens? That lion, that cheetah says, oh yeah, I got me one now. And they run, and most often when I see it, they run after the pack. The ones that are running with the pack and split off, they don't really chase them. They chase the pack because it's like, listen, I've got more options right here. And at, one, at some, a certain point in time, there's, after they're chasing this pack, one of them may stray off a little bit, and that's the one that usually gets, becomes kibbles and bits. <laughs> so point number two, and I brought that story up for a reason. 
avoid the majority. Because you see in that particular situation where the pack of deer or the pack of whatever the prey is, they start to run, the lions, the cheetahs, the leopards, they chase after that pack, the ones that run off by themselves, the ones that are, are, are like Joshua and Caleb. Though They don't attack those, they attack the ones that are together. Avoid the majority. Numbers 13, 32, it says, and they spread among the Israelites. What does that say? I'm looking, reading in the NIV right there. A bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. So the leaders are telling them this. And then what happens? The people begin to get afraid. Why? Because they're basing their reactions off of the leader. Write this quote down. We don't need believers that will turn good news into a bad report. We need believers that will turn bad news into a good report. Or what I put here, don't be a believer that turns good news into a bad report, but be a believer that turns bad news into a good report. How many of you have seen people turn good news into a bad report? Hey, man, oh, I just heard you got a promotion. Congratulations. That's good news. Yeah, man, but now I got to work all of this overtime, and I, I got all of these people to, to manage, and they don't really like me, and I can't take a lunch. I can't come in when I want to. I got to clock in and clock out, and I got to... They just turn good news into a bad report. Forget it. I won't bring good news to take back my congratulations. I'm sorry. <laughs> But imagine those other people that turn bad news into a good report. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, I'm sorry, you've got cancer. What's the good report? By his stripes, I am healed. Turning bad news into a good report. But it was the fear of the leader that caused the other, uh, the, the, the children, other children of Israel to have the same exact fear. We're talking about turning that good news or turning that bad news into a, a good report. Listen, we had a, a my, my wife and I had a friend, man, 14 minutes, geez, that clock. We had a friend back in North Carolina and this man, I mean, he, the, the desserts that this man made, I mean, pies and cakes and cookies. I mean, it was one, it, he would make a sweet potato pie that would make you want to slap your mama, your grandma, your auntie, your in-laws, your cousins, reach back into the past and slap your, your ancestors. I mean, that, that, that's a good pie, really. <laughs> Makes you go all the way back there. I mean, he was, he was very talented. Very, very talented. He took his pies to this restaurant. It was a very well-known restaurant in uh, Michigan, or in Michigan, North Carolina. And they had other restaurants across the city. And when he took, them, took these pies, they said, man, these things are amazing. Can you bring us like maybe 50 of them? We're going to try them out. We're going to see if, if the people like them. And, you know, after that, we want you to bring us another 50. 
And then what we're going to have you to do is we're just going to have you to make just a whole bunch of them. And then we'll just take them and we'll freeze them and then we'll cook them and then we'll sell them and you'll get a percentage of it. Do you know that that man never did that? He turned good news into a bad report because what did he begin to do? He began to look at that situation and size up himself. I don't have the money to get these ingredients. I don't, how am I, I don't have the time to do all it. How am I going to get all of these pies? How am I going to fulfill this request? And he walked away from prosperity. He walked away from his promise. He walked away from his Canaan land because he began to size up himself. But what he didn't know as God told Moses, I had already given you the land. They were going to pay for the supplies. They were going to pay for everything. He wasn't going to have to pay for a thing. All he had to do was make it. But sizing him, his own self up and his own weaknesses and his own infirmities and failures and faults caused him to walk away from the promise that God had put before him. How many times have we done that in our own lives? You know that story where it talks about the man being in the water, the river, wherever it was, and he's praying, God, save me. And God sends all of these, these, these ways out, ways of escape out of this river, out of this lake, and the man dies, and he comes, he stands before God, and he said, God, I asked you to save me, and you didn't save me. He said, I put all of these things right in front of you. You just didn't take it. The land of Canaan, the promise was right in front of you, but you didn't grab a hold of it. Why? Because of fear. I'm waiting on God. Sizing up your own self out of fear. How many of you know fear is a learned behavior? It's not something that you just have. You're not born with fear. You learn fear, right? All of you that have children, you'll know this to be true. My wife and I, as our kids were, you know, you know, when they were babies, they were growing up. You'll see them crawling to the end of the bed, and our bed sits about this high, and I feel sorry for my wife sometimes because she's had to buy a step stool. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so the baby will walk to the, court, the edge of the bed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for that one later. But so, walk to the edge of the bed, and that baby would look off. Wow, that looks fun. Baby falls off the bed. When that baby falls off the bed, the baby does one thing. The baby looks at mom and dad. And if we react, oh my God, the baby, ah, they're going to start crying everything. I mean, just the, the most God forsaken cry. And they're going to cry for hours and hours and hours based on your response. So we learn, okay, well, we can't do that. So if they would fall off the bed or fall off the couch, we say, yay, great job, awesome. Man, I've never seen somebody flip three times falling off the bed. That is great. Man, I know your leg is touching your, the back of your head. It's okay. It's awesome. And they would, <laughs> okay, am I supposed to cry? Am I supposed to laugh? Am I supposed to clap? What am I supposed to do? My leg is wrapped around my waist. I... But based on your response, based on our response as leaders, as their parents, it caused them to respond the same way. And we see that right here in Numbers. Because the leaders, the people that they were supposed to respect, they came back and said, listen, they're too strong. We can't attack them. We can't take them. We're going to lose. Yeah. 
And the children of Israel took the same exact response. Oh my God, it's over for us. If the leader said it, that says it, it's done. We're, we're done for. We have to make sure that as leaders, and, and this is probably something that we should talk about. You know, there are a lot of leaders in here. You may be a leader here at church. You may be a leader on your job. You may be a husband and you're a leader over your family. Listen, as leaders, when a giant arises, you have to make sure that you govern your response. Because your wife, your children, your team, your church is going to respond based off of your response to the giant that arises. So you have to be careful with how you respond when a giant arises. So the children of Israel, they looked to the leaders to determine how they were to react in that situation and their actions followed that of the leaders. But imagine if those leaders had a different response. I'm sure the story would still be here, but imagine if they responded, if everyone responded like Joshua and Caleb. It would be a completely different story. God wants you to face your giant, not run from it, but face it knowing that he's got your back. That's why David could say in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I fear no evil. Though I walk through the valley of disease, I walk through the valley of infirmity, though I walk through the valley of lack and of poverty, I won't fear it because God is with me. That's the response that God wants us to have. So I'm going to ask you a question with point number three. What are you thinking? Because how many of you know the battle starts right here? Write this quote down. Sometimes the spies are not necessarily people. They are our very own thoughts. So when a, a, a situation arises, a giant arises, we don't have, you may not have people that are spying out that, that, that land, but your thoughts are immediately running and spying out that situation. And they're bringing back a report. But what report are you believing? Are you believing the good report or are you believing a bad report? I can't defeat cancer. My mother passed with cancer. My grandmother had breast cancer. My great-grandmother had breast cancer. My aunt had breast cancer. And you see all of these situations of breast cancer and your thoughts immediately start to survey that. There's no way that I can come through that. There's no way that I can defeat that. If they didn't defeat it, how can I defeat it? I come from a, this is not me, I'm just kind of, you know, talking here, but I come from a, a home with a broken marriage. My parents couldn't even stay together. So how can I expect to love my wife? How can I expect to live my life without divorce when I saw divorce? My dad was an alcoholic. My brothers, they're all alcoholics. How can I kick this addiction when they couldn't even do it? Do you see how your thoughts begin to survey that giant that arises? 
Your thoughts are spying out the land and giving you a report. And you have to take control of your thoughts, or as scripture says, take it captive. And I like how Caleb responded. I'm going to jump back to Numbers chapter 13 and 30. It says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Now, it says silence in the scripture, but in our days, Caleb said, listen, shut up. Be quiet. We can overtake these people. God has already given us the land. All we have to do is walk. Shut up. And that's what we have to do in our own lives. When those giants arise, those thoughts get to running. Listen, you got to tell your mind, shut up. I'm believing the report of the Lord. (laughs) Glory to God. I don't know about y'all, but I'm preaching myself happy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Then Caleb said, silence the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. Listen, you tell yourself what to think. You tell yourself what to feel. Don't allow your giants, don't allow your situations, don't allow your circumstances to determine how you feel and how you think. You tell yourself how to think. Glory to God. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4 and 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, or another translation says, think on these things. Tell yourself what to think and how to think. Amen? As a man thinks, got some Bible readers in here. See yourself differently because ultimately how you see yourself will determine your capacity to receive from God. Write this quote down. God is not limited by his capability. He's only limited by your capacity to receive. He has an unlimited amount of resources But what limits God? Your capacity to receive. You. You limit God. You limit how much you receive from God or how little you receive from him. Our capacity to to receive is determined by our perception of ourselves. What we experience is based on our perception. Numbers 13, 33 says, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And I like this part. Listen, it says, we seem like grasshoppers. How? In our own eyes. What? You mean to tell me that the giants in the land, they didn't see us like grasshoppers initially? No, we seemed like grasshoppers. How? In our own eyes. Doesn't that sound like they sized themselves up through their own shortcomings, through their own failures, through their own faults? Write this down. We don't experience our reality. We experience our perception of reality. 
The reality is this land is full of giants. My perception of the reality is I'm like a grasshopper in their eyes. The reality is I've been given a bad report from the doctor. My perception of it is I can't overcome this. I can't be healed from this. We don't experience what the reality is. We experience what our perception, how we look, how we view our reality. And what ends up happening is we don't walk into all that God has for us because of our perception. If you read in Numbers uh, 14, it goes on to, to say that after this whole account happened here, they went back to the desert. They went back to the desert. So they were standing right on the edge. You all here, that right here in the front, you can see it. So they were standing here on the edge of the promise. All they had to do was take a step into the promise, okay? So they're standing there. They decide to base their reactions off of fear, size themselves up off their own weaknesses, and instead of walking into the promise that had already been given to them, they walk back into the desert. And so God said, listen, I'm killing them all. Getting rid of them all. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that now? <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. <laughs> he said, I'm taking them all out. Moses said, hold on, God. Wait a minute. Because your reputation is spread throughout this land. The people, they know you delivered them from Egypt. So if you go and you kill them, what are they going to say about you? You got to forgive them, God. And he said, I forgive them. But not one of them will enter into the land of promise. But Caleb, the one that told them to shut up, the one that told them, listen, y'all thinking wrong, the one that told him, God has already given us this land. Him, because his heart is right towards me, he and his descendants, they're going to enter the promise. But all those other people, they're going to die right there in that desert. And we see that in the scripture. Write this quote. Your faith is dying in deserts, not because of your giants, but because of how you're looking at your giants. Let me say that again. Your faith is dying in deserts, not because of the giants that arise, not because they are so big or because they seem to be insurmountable, but because of how you look at them. So if you change the way that you look at that giant, ultimately that giant will what? He'll come down. You'll overcome you'll get the victory because quite honestly, you don't even have to fight anyway. <laughs> the fight is already fixed. You've already won the fight. All you have to do is what God told them, listen, all you gotta do is walk into the land. I get, I've given it to you already. 
You're looking at it all wrong. I'm going to end with this scripture. Psalm chapter 112, 6 and 7. It says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And this is the part I like. They will have no fear of what? Say that again. The righteous don't have a fear of bad news. Why? Because bad news to me means a good report. Because I understand that the bad news just allows God's truth to come forth. The bad news says one thing, but what does the word say? And that's what you stand on. You stand on what the word says. It doesn't matter what the giant looks like. It doesn't matter what it's speaking to you. It doesn't matter what it's speaking to your situation. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You believe what the word says. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.